Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name's Cammy and I'm your host and I'm accompanied as always this evening by my very good friend and my fellow host. Lauren, hello, hello, how are you? Hello Lauren, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Had a good week, how about you? Yeah, do you know what, my week's been a bit meh, but do you know what, just doing the podcast fucking puts me in a good mood. Yeah. I'm buzzing. Yeah, and that sunshine? <laughs> yeah, it has been sunny, although I'm, I've got my like neck to yeah. ankle thick, like fleecy thing on that I nicked off my child. So yeah, it's nice. Lauren comes to the door, like, oh, the sunshine, how lovely. And I was like, look at what I'm wearing. <laughs> I've been sweating it out all day. <laughs> yeah, I so. don't know. I feel the cold. Yeah, you do. I do, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, I do feel the cold. Especially oh, yeah. when you, oh, trouble with my job is I sit on my ass all day and you just get cold. Ah. But when I'm when I'm mooching, I'm fine. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the trouble. Tom's I think, dad that used to always feel the cold. Mm. And he had a layer of, they tested him, he had a layer of skin missing. Maybe you've got that. But, yeah, perhaps. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. Just feel, I feel cold at the moment, but it, you know, it's getting later. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a bit of a meh week. Mm. And, but I'm having a, Fab time tonight. Good, so. yeah. Yay. We're having a party. It's Yay. a Friday night. And this yeah. is what we like to do. Have you done anything good this week? What have I done this week? No, I've not done much. Not a lot, really. No, me too, really. No. Yeah, not, it's not just been much. a bit. Yeah, I know. Oh, I auditioned for that game show this week. Hey. <laughs> it's me. only a game show. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, so I don't know. I've got to wait about a week to find out whether I've made it through. Did you have any off-putting questions or was you fit, did you feel okay? No, she didn't ask me any because you said she asked you a couple oh. of off-putting questions. So I was all prepared, but she didn't. She just asked me the same stuff as what she covered when we had our catch-up chat. So. Oh, got him. Yeah, no, it's fine. I was proper put on the spot, Chris. Don't like you. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no. But other than that, that's all I've done, really. It's been anything sort of out of the ordinary, to be yeah. honest, worth commenting on. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners, will let you know yeah. how we get on. We, not that it will even be on telly because it's no. only a pilot that's not going to be televised. But what a laugh we'll have if we get mm. on, though. The game is called The Genius Game when it comes out, so you know. And it's named after Lauren. <laughs> But um, <laughs> <laughs> we need a sand machine. Oh yeah, like that man out of Police Academy. Yes, <laughs> I think I think that's the way to go. That's gonna get us that, that so ten thousand downloads. Like at one of those shock jocks from the eighties. Yeah. Yes, those stupid like or Ross on the keyboard. Doosh, yeah. doosh. <laughs> <laughs> With his like barking and <laughs> helicopter stage. Yeah, right. I'm going to get one. Yeah. Douche, douche. <laughs> Watch this space. It's going to be fucking epic. Your favourite podcast is just about to get a bit better. Get to get epic. <laughs> so, back to the show. Obviously, um, this is our new series around the world. And today, we have flown all the way to South Africa, haven't we, Lauren? Yeah, and it's nice and sunny there too. It's nice and sunny there. Beautiful part of the world. Oh, yes. Um, Pretty crime ridden from what you can gather reading about yeah. it but beautiful part of the world lovely people mm-hmm. um, just a shame about all this fucking serial killers mm-hmm. yeah it <laughs> is pretty bluntly my friend's from South Africa growing up she had bars on her windows mm. and her parents went out she was about 12 and she had a home invasion mm. 
and she was learning, like she got taught to hide and they had guns and everything and they would have shot her if they had seen her. Oh, wow. 12 years old. So they teach <gasps> you like panic room yes, kind of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. That's fucking terrifying, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. But Ooh. oh, I suppose that's just what you have to yeah. do if you grow up in... That's where that sort of thing is quite common. Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of people, like, they hire bodyguards and stuff. Like yeah. And things like that. It's quite a bit lawless sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, this is going back to 1995, this particular case, isn't it? Yeah. And we are covering the case of Moses Satole, mm-hmm. the ABC murderer. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I looked up a little bit. So, he was active in the Johannesburg and Pretoria regions. Mm-hmm. They're both huge sort of, like, capital countries kind of capital cities mm-hmm. um and in 1995 the population of johannesburg was 2.4 million and Jeez. um about 30 miles away is the city of Pretoria, and that had a population of about 1.3 million so this does i thought i'm gonna look this up because i don't really understand how so many women can go missing so quick so mm-hmm. so many without anyone raising the alarm for a while mm-hmm. and this is why because it's a large amount of people yeah um so, yeah, South Africa has recorded a high number of serial murders in its modern history since the mid-1990s, which is the period that we're starting from. Mm-hmm. Over 178 murder series have been identified by the South African Police Service, a.k.a. the SAPS. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be called a SAP. Ah. Uh. It's a bit of a slur, isn't it, being called a SAP? Well, <laughs> when you said of... SAPS, it sounded jazzy. Now yeah, you're saying yes. SAP. Yeah, I'm like, nah. Yeah, yeah it means you're a bit of a wet wipe, yeah. doesn't it? So... Um, th- so this led to the SAPs creating a specialised unit to deal with this and related crimes in the mid-1990s and it was fashioned along the lines of the FBI's behavioural analysis units. Mm. So that's just a little tiny bit of background. Um, I know you've d- dug around of South Africa's history mm-hmm. and apartheid and Nelson Mandela and mm-hmm. whatnot. So um, over to you, my dear. Okay, let's do it. So yeah, I've got a few names for him. Have you? Uh, ABC murderer and <laughs> Africa's Af- most... Prolific serial killer, the South African Strangler, and the Ted Bundy of South Africa. Well, 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 what a nickname, yeah, eh? I know. So he's got quite a few, I think. Mm. Whoa! Right, so let's go. So I'm going to go first for the um, apartheid. Mm. So from 1948 to 1994, South Africa had a segregation, and it was called apartheid, and it means apartness in English. English, which I can't talk. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Look at you struggling over here. You're so worried you're going to struggle over the African yeah, words. I know, you're it's the English. English. That's why I panic so much, because I can't speak English. There's no hope for me, guys. Oh, oh is it English? English. <laughs> Got a lisp. Say it, don't spray it. <laughs> so, it was a system of legalisation that upheld segregation against non-white citizens of South Africa. After the... National Party gained power in South Africa in 1984. Its all-white government immediately began enforcing existing policies of racial segregation. So under apartheid, non-white South Africans, a majority of the population, were forced to live in separate areas from whites and to use separate public facilities. And it's just atrocious, isn't it? Mm. So contact between the two groups was very limited as well. Despite strong and consistent op- opposition, is that the right? No, mm-hmm. to opp- opposition. Par- yeah, opposition. Yeah. yeah, to apartheid. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know <laughs> what the right one was. Within and outside of South Africa, its laws remained in effect for the better part of fifty years. Mm. So that's a long time to live like that as well. Nineteen forty-eight to what nineteen ninety-three or something, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, mm, long time. So let's get to this old Sicoli. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about this little fucker. I know. Well, when we first read it, we picked him, didn't we? Because of Sithole, he's how we would pronounce it. Yeah, it's and we were going to call him Shithole. Shithole, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's an asshole, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, it's pronounced Sitola. Sitola, yeah. So in a township, so a township means a non-white town. Boslo is Gutang of South Africa. Mm-hmm. That's a province, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's in a township, province of that place that yeah. I've just said. I've said it well, <laughs> so I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> Moses was born on November the 17th, 1964, to Simon and Sophie Sitsole. He was number four of six children, and when he was five to six years old, Simon died. 
His mother was an alcoholic and they lived in extreme poverty. So in this township, the citizens there were very poverty-ridden, you know. Mm. Um, There was no way of kind of gaining work, especially as a single mother as well. And there was not a lot to be done, you know. There weren't a lot of jobs for single Mm. mothers to do, sorry. So Simon was the main breadwinner. And because of it, he had died and Sophie couldn't then get a job mm. while she was chugging back the whiskey. I think the trouble, a lot of the trouble that was mm-hmm. the apartheid rules were really strict. Strict, yeah. About what jobs you could do yes. and what education you yes. could receive. Yeah. So, because he died, they were evicted. And he, um, so, because of the hardship around him he was described as a bright child and he recalls later in life but he was abused by both mother and stepsister so Sophie makes the decision that she couldn't raise the five children a single handedly so she left them at the local police station and she told them that they couldn't tell anybody that they was her mother and that she had abandoned abandoned them and if they did tell anyone she would hurt them so the children were taken to an orphanage. They go from one child's home to another con- consistently. <clears throat> he mostly states then he was also abused here. And when he was eight years old, he decides to run away to go find his mother. And he goes through dangerous shanty towns until he finds her. But she isn't too pleased to see him and rejects him and says, you're not wanted. And she takes him back. So um, by the age of 11, he's just sick of, like, the mistreatment and the abuse he's receiving. These are his words, though, Kaz, mm. so we can't say for certain. And mm. I tried to... <laughs> I had my little naive brain thought I could put into Google yeah. orphanages in the 1960s, 1970s in South Africa, what life was like, mm. and I couldn't find anything to even describe to you. Mm. All I got was about African Irish children and the abuse they found that in. So, yeah, I really struggled. Mm. So, Sophie decides to take him back to the children's homes. And at the age of 11, he's sick and tired of it all. He decides to run away again and he hitchhikes to his brother Patrick's house 300 miles away. So, when he's at his brother Patrick's house, like, he has to help pay the bills and that so he starts working but he has a side hobby of boxing he was described by the people around him then as intelligent with good with women but he did have a temper and a noticeable temper Mm. he's um he liked classical music which i thought was a bit i don't know out of character for what i'm trying to build you know Mm. his brother patrick loses his job and he's forced to move out. So Moses then takes over paying the bills and stuff with his job. But while Patrick's out of the scene, he um, sneakily sells Patrick's house and runs with the money. <laughs> I know, swindler. He swindled, Kaz. He sold the house from under him. He's, he swindled. Mm. <laughs> God. Can you imagine, like, you come home, you're like, oh, where's my house? Yeah, where's it gone? Yeah, sorry, bro, I sold it. Yeah, but because... because <laughs> Because money's so tight and opportunities wasn't there for him, mm. how was it under, under well, I was thinking under the understanding is because he could then keep the house because he had a job. Did mm. he think it was his? Don't know. It's weird, isn't it? You think he'd have that conversation, really? Yeah, you with your brother. Just, you yeah. can't just presume. No, I know. Someone's I know. popped out. That means that by default you own the house. I own the house. No, that's true. <laughs> you you go and get a glass of milk, Kaz, and then I own it. I'll just sign a deed. Yeah, yeah. That's how busy I work. So, don't. He worked a many a job while travelling around the country, and he even worked in a gold mine in Johannesburg. Satoli had a high sex drive from an early age, but his relationships were very short-lived. He was uh, fond and friendly with children of the area of Johannesburg, and he would especially help reunite parents with runaway children because he felt that was his calling. And he felt, I think, because he was abandoned and he was a runaway child, he felt that was his right, Mm. his God-given thing on earth if that makes sense i don't know i'm not religious i'm trying to do it 
<laughs> that thing, yeah. <laughs> is it because he's called Moses? Are you getting a little bit worried yeah. about bending God? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But he, he just thinks it's within him to help these runaway children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to... I'm going to state here, there's no facts or no reports of him ever abusing children or anything like that that mm-hmm. I've read. So at the age of 20, uh, 24, sorry, he starts a relationship with a Simboli. And later she states that he is a victim of his abuse. But she only states that when he's jailed for other things. Mm. So she's in the relationship, but again, it's not a very long one. So... It's not known when Satoli raped his first victim, but his first recorded incidents of rape occurred in September 1987, involving a 29-year-old woman called Patricia Carmel. Kamalo? Kamala. Well done. I've spelled it wrong. <laughs> he told her that she couldn't, uh, she couldn't tell anyone, and if she did, he would set her on fire, waving a machete at her. He choked her until she passed that. So that's quite a violent old rape. Quite escalated, mm. isn't it? I believe she was his girlfriend's sister as well. Oh, really? Mm. So that's why she went for a walk with him, because she trusted him. She trusted him. Yeah, so oh. she knew damn well who he was. He wasn't a stranger to her, but she never she I, never told on him. She I wonder frightened. what changed in his mind. That can't be his first one, because that's such an escalation. Mm. I don't know, to be honest. But no. maybe, I don't know. I haven't no. got a clue. If it was his first one, perhaps it was just an opportunity. Yeah. She said no, so he just done it anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not it might have been her. Well, it might maybe. have been her rejecting him. That's that, made that's pushed got it. The rage. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. But I don't know. To be honest. No. Yeah, could be. Could be. So, um, Satoli then goes on to meet a lady called Doris, who was work, who was a job seeker, and he was working in a shop. Hmm. But she didn't know this. And he told her he was a successful businessman and he would personally escort her to a new job. He told her they could take a shortcut through the field. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mentioned the field to me, when you mentioned the field, it reminded me of like Games of Thrones oh, or something like that. Yeah, I think it's just like African word for field kind of thing. It's where they, ah. take, they take shortcuts. Yes. Through the fields. Yes, so, so I've quite got isolated in that. It's an open, uncultivated area of grassland in South Africa. Mm, so yeah. It. Yeah. So he could be Lord of the Field. Oh no, no, I'm so sorry. That is not a good thing to say. It's Game of Thrones. So anyway, let's get back to the story. He's, he's moving on. Yeah, moving on. Him and Doris. Oh, Doris. I know, that's all I'm gagging to do it. I'm gagging. Yep. Yep. So he takes her to the field and it's an open area of grassland in South Africa and she was attacked in February 1989. Once they were alone, he produced a knife that he had hidden in a folded newspaper and tied her up with her own underwear and told her he would rape her and then said he wouldn't hurt her or kill her if she didn't tell anyone. He left her tied up and then three months later on, she reports him to the police when she saw him working in a shop. So the police get involved, they do a check on him, arrest him, but stupidly put Doris and Moses both in the back of the police car together, Kaz. Now, that's the victim and the rapist sitting there. Breathing the same air. Yeah, in the back of the car. That can't be allowed. (laughs) So he was super angry at her and was screaming and shouting at her in the car. He even says, I should have killed you. I think he said, bitch, I should have killed you. Yeah. When I had the chance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm just thinking about when we uh, spoke to... Oh, no, sorry, carry on. Are you sure? Yeah, go on. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yeah, so he says, I should have killed you. She made a police report at the time that resulted in Sixoli's arrest and trial. Then three other known rape victims came forward in 1989. He was jailed in Boxburg Prison for six years for the rape of Doris. In South Africa, the rigid racial segregation that existed in prisons in South Africa began to change while he's there. So they begin to change in the late 80s and early 1990 when the law removed all references to race. Prison reform during the political handover and at the beginning of the new term was included on the political agenda. So he's starting to see things change around him while in prison. 
So I'm just going to jump into a bit of prison. Known facts about this exact prison. So Is it prison fun facts? Fun facts on prison. <laughs> so again, I did what I tried to do with the orphanage about prisons. <laughs> Why not fluff it out a bit? So Boxburg Correctional Centre, which is now known in South Africa, is named one of the worst prisons in South Africa. Oh, fuck me. That must be really bad. Yeah. So the conditions are far from great, but they haven't got overcrowding, which the other lot have. So that's its one saving grace. It's not overcrowded. Well, it's because it's so shit. No one wants to go there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'll tell you they don't have a choice. But... No. All right. So, most of the main issues at Boxburg Prison are unhygienic preparation of food by inmates with no training in this field, which is affecting the health of those with medical conditions. So, I think they're giving everyone sickness and diarrhea. Mm, what, loads of emodium and stuff? No, I think they're um, just not cooking it properly. Oh, so yeah, food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, food poisoning. Yeah. Ugh. So shortage of vital foods and nutrients due to poor planning and corruption. Sick inmates being given expired medications. Inmates being given medicines marked for other prisoners. Medicines being prescribed by doctors that are being delivered weeks late. Untrained and unqualified inmates being used as pharmacy assistants. Mm. And he begins, so yeah, so that's what it's... Yeah, that sounds a bit crap, but he's quite young and fit. I doubt if he needed medication no. and stuff, he would prove it all right, wouldn't he? But No, this is yeah. like, now. This this, is now. Yeah, I couldn't get 80s, yeah. but yeah, this is now. Mm. So it still sounds a bit shitty, like if yeah. you need antibiotics because your finger's gone gangrene and you don't get it for another three months, you're going to lose your arm. <laughs> yeah, true. Right? Yeah, amputation. Yeah. All round. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds crap. It does. It doesn't sound great. But there's no overcrowding, so there's mm, one small... Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaty pit in your hand or a gangrene finger in your hand. What do you want? Oh, it's like a really disgusting game of meat Murray murder. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, while he's in prison, he begins a relationship with a woman called Martha. He was writing to, uh, she was writing to him in prison after meeting him on a family visit. Mm. She, she was there to meet uh, one of her family. I think it was her brother. Brother, yeah. yeah. I wanted to say brother, and I've got a question mark next oh, to it. Yeah, it was her brother. So, Satoli maintained his innocence throughout the trial, and he was released early in 93 for good behaviour. Right. Bullshit. Yes. I'm sure he behaved himself while he's in jail, but... There's no women to rape in jail. No, that's true. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to be good behaviour. Right? Yeah, of course. So, perhaps Sitoli learnt a lesson from his time in jail. Well done! <laughs> that rape victims left alive can produce consequences. So, what he does, Kaz, he comes out of prison and he moves in with Martha straight away. Yeah. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Okay, cool. I'm going to touch a little bit about apartheid and the 90s because mm-hmm. I think, by all accounts, this is a big contributing factor to Moses and what he did mm-hmm. and the fact that from the mid-90s on was a significant rise in serial killers because you're probably thinking, why from the mid-90s? This is why. So just recapping a little bit about what you said about apartheid. Um so it is a racial segregation sanctioned by law and was wide, widely practiced in South Africa um, in, before 1948. But when the National Party gained office that year, so 1948, it extended the policy and gave it the name Apartheid. The implementation of Apartheid, often called separate development since the 1960s, was made possible through the Population Resignation Act of 1950, which classified all South Africans as either Bantu, which is all black Africans, coloured, those of mixed race, or white. And a fourth category, Asian, was later added. One of the most significant acts in terms of forming the basis of the apartheid system was the Group Areas Act of 1950. Now, this act established residential and business sections in urban areas for each race, and members of other races were barred from living, operating businesses, or owning land in them, which led to thousands of coloureds, blacks, and Indians being removed from areas classified for white occupation so huge upheaval at this point in practice this act and two others in 1954 and 1955 which became known collectively as the land acts completed a process that had begun with similar land acts and the end result was to set aside more than 80 percent of south africa's land for white minority so yeah, the, yeah you know the the people that like the what do you call them that the Oh, I can't remember what the word is. But yeah, basically the, the black Africans, who's it's their homeland, mm-hmm. they have to live on 20% of their own fucking homeland because of all these laws and stuff. Um, it, I mean, I, I doubt if it is the good 20% either, Lauren. I doubt if that 20% had the fucking gold mines in it, put it that way. Um, to help enforce the segregation of the races and prevent blacks from encroaching on white areas, the government strengthened the existing past laws, which required non-whites to carry documents authorising their presence in restricted areas. So this is basically your passport to move freely around your country and where you live. So I suppose you have to carry these documentation all the time and you can't really leave your village, which ties into why Moses's mother had such a struggle on her hands. She mm-hmm. couldn't travel elsewhere to try and find work because she physically would, it was illegal for her to do so. Uh, separate education... This made my blood run cold, by the way. Separate educational standards were established for non-whites... The Bantu Education Act 1953 provided for the creation of state-run schools which black children were required to attend with the goal of training the children for the manual labour and menial jobs that the government deemed suitable for those of their race. How bad is that? The Extension of University Education Act in 1959 largely prohibited established universities from accepting non-white students. The government created new ethnic university colleges one each for coloureds, Indians and Zulus, and one for Zothu, Swazwana and Venda students, as well as a medical school for blacks. And because I was thinking, like, how on earth did Nelson Mandela become such a huge figure on the global stage mm-hmm. if he only was trained in menial, but there was, like, a uni- one university for non-white people, and he must have attended it, I'm guessing. Um so Nelson Mandela, when he was a young man, he was a freedom fighter. He mm-hmm. went and trained in guerrilla warfare and all this sort of thing because he was fighting against this regime all of his life, doing like rallies and marches and, you know, not non-peaceful, like literally like terrorist kind of things, trying to get this um, this regime overthrown kind of thing. And um, so obviously he was arrested, sent to prison, and he served 27 years in prison. Um, and on the 11th of January, sorry, February 1990. So this is while your guy, your Moses, is in mm-hmm. jail. So this is when it all changes. He was released from jail. And in 1994, the African National Congress won 63% of the vote. And he was the leader of that party. He became the first black, well, the black American president. And he was inaugurated on the 10th of May 1994. Wow. Which kind of leads us up to Moses' story, 1994. Mm. So, Just leave it there because that's a quite a good ending. <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after. Yay! And those 170 different serial killers never actually existed. No, I However, like it. However, this is the problem. Now apartheid is over and the black South Africans are finally allowed freedom to travel freely. They can move wherever they want. Many 
of in many there's lots of innocent country girls uh-huh. they attracted to go to the big cities of Johannesburg and Pretoria because they think oh, I can earn good money there I haven't got to work like slogging my guts out on a farm or doing all this manual stuff I can go and like earn a good living in the city this reminds me of the HH Holmes case because do you remember thousands and thousands of young women yeah. came and went to Chicago because of that World Trade Fair yeah. and so no one noticed them going missing so I've already said these are these are one and two million populated cities anyway. From on top of that, we're only like a couple of years into having freedom of movement. This is why there's this huge kind of like, the women are victims, this is why they're victims. The reason the men are behaving the way they are is because they've been so repressed and they're so angry. They have all this pent up anger inside them and they suddenly not being policed to the nth degree anymore. They're free to do what they want to do to to a certain extent, I think. And and it uh, it just br- brings out the bad in some of yeah. them, I think. I know that's a really like naive way to put it, but I hope you get what I'm trying to say. It's um, it it is a product of years and years and years of repression, and suddenly being released. And yeah, the young women are just they're naive, they're trusting. They've never lived in a big city. They've probably grown up in a rural farm and a little village, and trust people when they say they'll help them get a job. Aww. So. Bearing in mind, before Moses went into prison, that's how he managed to lure one of his victims to go for a stroll across the veils because mm-hmm. he promised her a job. Obviously, he's realised, this is decent, women trust me. I'll put on a suit, chat them up, tell them I've got a business, and they will go, they'll follow me wherever I take them. So this is what he does. He, um, he was employed as a mechanic, I think, with um, Martha's family when he first left prison. And he and uh, I think Martha's family didn't like him. You know, you're like, yeah. oh, I wonder why they didn't mm-hmm. like you, Moses. Is it because you're a convicted rapist, mate? Maybe that's why. Uh, but apparently he's quite charming and he won them all over. They move in together. Uh, like, I read they didn't actually formally get married, but they were like common law man and wife. So to all intents and purposes, they were married. And he worked as a mechanic. Um, he quit his job. And he said he was looking for work and he'd walk around carrying a newspaper under his arm. But in the newspaper was a knife. And he started honing in, targeting unemployed women. So here we are, early July 94, he met 19-year-old Marina Manoma on the streets of Pretoria. Uh, he introduced himself as Sylvester and he was charming. He must have met her family because her fam- family were charmed by him. Uh, soon after this meeting, he lured Marina to a remote veld and he strangled her. And there was writing scrawled on her leg that said, I'm not fighting with you. We will stay here until you understand. Fuck knows what that's supposed to mean. Mm. But it just, oh, I, I do find it. Um, who's the one, who's the guy Richard Ramirez mm. wrote on some of his victims, didn't he? I find it so demeaning. It's, yeah. it's like, oh, that's not quite enough what I'm going to do. I'm going to draw, I'm going to use you as blackboard or, or a pad. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. oh, what are you doing? Yeah, it's Horrible. not nice. That's the only one that he did write on. God knows why. Um, but this gives him a feeling of omnipotence and power and he feels like, oh, I'm the big man. I mean, look what I can do to these women. And now he's progressed from rape to murder because while he's been in prison, he is fucking raging. Yeah, he saving. He is, the anger and the rage is building up inside him. He was ostracised by his fellow inmates in prison because he was a rapist. Obviously, no one wants to be friends with a rapist. No. And he claims he was raped while he was in prison as well. And uh, he totally said not not guilty when um, Doris, mm-hmm. you know, when he was taken to trial over Doris, mm-hmm. he, he said it wasn't him, didn't do anything. And um, he continued to say that he hadn't hurt anyone, his hatred of women deepened and he swore that he should have killed the first lady who had, I'm going to say inverted commas, wrongly accused him. Um, so yeah, he's, this is why he's gone from rape to murder because he's learned his lesson, like you say. From Doris. Mm. Uh, yes, that's in July. Um, on the fifth of December, ninety-four, he and his um, wife Martha have their have a baby, a little girl. Don't know what to make of that, but yeah, they do have a baby. Um, over the next four months, he assaults and murders five more women. The media and the police realise that there is a serial killer on the loose. Um, the trouble is, like I say, this is a period of of many serial killers and violence due to the new transient life that people were taking advantage of at the time. On the 9th of February 1995, a second woman was found. Um, She was naked. Her clothes had been removed, folded up and placed on top of her and then held down with rocks. 
um, they fingerprinted her body and they found they found out that she was 27-year-old beauty Soko and she'd been missing since January when she failed to arrive when visiting her sister. Um, on the 6th of March 1995, construction workers in Atteridgeville discovered a woman's breast protruding from the soil. I, know, oh, I don't know that. I know, it sets your teeth on edge, doesn't it? Mm. Can you imagine like, going to work on your construction site and finding that? It's horrific, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's not nice. It's fucking horrific. It's just Can I just disgusting. say how yeah. lovely the African women names are? Yeah, they're great, aren't they? I love them. Yeah, I'm not doing them justice because I can't do a good accent. No, I but know. I'm, I'm trying my yeah, best. They're lovely. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Yeah, beauty. Yeah. It's been called beauty. I know. You must wake up every day and think, ding. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so they find, so obviously they, the police come, they discover it's 25-year-old Sarah Mokono. Mm-hmm. And she disappeared when meeting, when going to meet somebody about a job. Here we go. Mm. 12th of April, 25-year-old Letta Nadalagamanga, Mandala, sorry, had been strangled. And she was discovered with her hands tied behind her back with her own bra. And she was last seen when she'd been going to meet a man in Pretoria about a job. <coughs> it's just awful, isn't it? Yeah, it's not good. Um, on the 2nd of April, I beg your pardon, the 20th of April, there was... um. Oh, love her. So it didn't. They didn't realise for a few more days, but Letta had been a mother, and when she'd gone to meet the man about the job, she hadn't been able to find a babysitter. So she'd taken her two-year-old son, Sibusio River. Oh no! And uh, Sibusi's. Sib- sorry, let me say this properly. Sibusiso, his poor little body was found, not very far away from his mum's body. Um, he had a head injury, but he died from exposure because oh, no. he'd just been left there. With no one to look after him, so the elements got him. No. So, um, yeah, two-year-old little boy. No. Bad, isn't it? That's awful. On the 17th of April, four more bodies were found. Uh, so it's proper stacking up. And the trouble is, uh, the timeline's really difficult to establish because sometimes they'll find a group of bodies. Some of them are even, they're basically nothing more than skeletons, mm-hmm. whereas one maybe been killed the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, so these women are being, they're going missing and then they're getting discovered in very different time frames. So um, some of them, it's such a long time frame, they, a lot of the ladies, unfortunately, hadn't even been identified, had they? No. Um, on the 13th of May, 29-year-old Esther Mayneteja, her body was found naked from the waist down in a cornfield near Pataria and she had been strangled with her own clothing. Um, on the 13th of May, this one's pretty nasty, I'm just going to warn you, um, 25-year-old June Francina Sithaby, her body was found propped up against a tree. Uh, she had been tied um, with her handbag strap around the neck and um, around the tree and then just left there. So eventually she'd get so tired, she her legs would give and then she strangled herself. Oh my God, that's sick. Yeah, it's, it's awful, isn't it? It's, it's, that's, this is go- progressing from rape and murder to rape, torture. Murder. Torture, yeah, yeah, it's torture. That it's, is. Um, he's getting his rocks off on fear, terror yeah. and pain as well. Um, on the 22nd of June, Ernestina Mahadi Masobo, age 30, she was found raped and strangled. Right, this he's very nearly caught now. On the 17th of July, there was a man called Absalom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an eyewitness. He noticed a man and a woman entering a veld near his home. And he just it just piqued his curiosity. So he just mooched around outside and just watched to see what would happen. Um, he said a while later, the man left the field alone. But he looked really cagey. He was looking around, looked like he'd been up to no good. And then he sprinted off down the road. So Absalom has gone to investigate see what's happened to the lady that he saw go in the field and um he found 25 the body i'm afraid of 25 year old josephine uh mantasali Melangeji. uh he called the police um and unfortunately he was too far away to give an accurate description of what the man looked like so he wasn't any good as an eyewitness, really. And he was too late to save Josephine. She was already dead. Poor Josephine. She had four kids at home. Oh, And, sh- and she had gone for an appointment to see about a job. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Um, just to briefly explain a little bit why he's called the ABC murderer. Because I don't think we've quite covered that, have we? Mm-mm. Um, so there's um, three areas 
um, let me see, Atteridgeville. These are these are suburbs around Johannesburg and Pretoria, Atteridgeville, Boxburg and Cleveland. ABC Killer. So that's Oh, mine. if you're Agatha Christie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that book. <clears throat> Such a yes. Um, on the 18th of July, uh, there was a 21-year-old called Granny Ramela. Her body was found in Pretoria West and she'd been strangled with a garrote. So he would use like their bra or their knickers or their tights. Again, it's very Richard Ramirez, isn't it? And he'd put a stick in it and he'd twist it. Yeah. Um, sometimes he'd do it like similar thing to the, to the same sort of guy where he'd let it go and let them come back round and then do it again and just play with them, toy with them. Um, now this this lady here, she'd been missing since the twenty third of May, and they didn't find her till the middle of July. And in that heat, wow. there probably wouldn't have been a lot. It's lucky yeah. they identified her, I expect. Um, on the twenty sixth of July, twenty eight year old Mildred Nepule, her body was found in a canal. She'd been missing since the thirtieth of May, when her husband had taken her into Pretoria to see a man about an employment opportunity. Uh, she'd been killed with her tights and her underwear was placed over her face. Oh. Apparently, a lot of his victims, he'd covered their faces up. Um, on the 8th of August, 25-year-old Elsie Cote Mansango, her body was found and she'd been missing since the middle of July. The next day, another body that was discovered, but it had been too badly burnt for an identification. Uh, on the 23rd of July, 30-year-old Oscarina Jacalalsi, her body was found near Boxburn. And um, the 28th and 30th August, two more bodies are found near the dam. One old, one almost skeletal, and one new, mm-hmm. like a, f- a fresh kind of kill. Neither of these ladies were identified either. And um, and then that brings us up to the, the day of the 10, Lauren. September so, yeah. 1995. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just gone... From bad to worse, like it was one every month, wasn't it? To one mm. every week, to one every day. It just amping up, amping up, amping mm. up, isn't it? The escalation is yeah, ridiculous. It is. It? And the torturing, I didn't like that. He's just getting more and more vicious, yeah. isn't he? The hatred and the rage is not, it's getting worse. Yeah, it's not subsiding, yeah. is it? So he's feeling quite invincible now because, like, mm. he hasn't been caught and he's getting away with it day and day again. And it is days. It's not. The police can't keep up no, with it, can no, they? No, no. The forensics can't keep up with it. But I think he must have shit a bit of a brick mm. because he re- relocates back to Boxburg. Mm. So he must be thinking, let's, do you reckon try a new territory or do you think he's scared of paranoia? Mm. Well, anyway, so yeah. he moves and we go, he go on about the September the 16th, 95, a female body was found by a walker near the Van Dyke mine. Hmm. And only 48 hours later, 10 more were discovered. Wow. Yeah. So assessing the nature of the corpse, detective noticed that like the ones in, I'm so sorry, at Ridgeville, hmm. is that right? Yeah. They had similar mark raped strangles by their underwear and hands tied behind their backs. Media attention was intense throughout the recovery operation and even President Nelson Mandela visited the scene of the grisly discoveries but by now the black community is holding a vigil and demanding swift justice for the women Mm. so I think this starts gearing up like big time the capture so South African authorities virtually overrun by serial killers in the wake of apartheid's collapse consulted the uh, next FBI agent Robert Ressler in the search for the ABC killer. He concluded that the murders of the two communities were linked. So public concerns really increased by now. With the media coverage, Ressler, who arrived on the 23rd of September 95, assisted in the developing a profile for the serial killer. The profile indicated that an intelligent, organised individual with a very high sex drive was responsible and he was operating with a growing sense of confidence, perhaps with the assistance of a second serial killer. So they did say that the killer would get that cocky enough that he's going to get in touch with the media. Mm. President Nelson Mandela was concerned enough to talk about the crime on TV, and he cancels a scheduled trip aboard, and he appears in Boxburg with high-ranking Justin justice officials where he appealed for the public in helping 
track the strangler. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we're at at that point. Mm. So you've got Nelson Mandela appealing yeah, just for the, justice. The feds are over from America yeah. to help out. Yeah. And yeah, I think that Vesla is really famous in profiling. He was one of the mm-hmm. original ones. And um, he was retired at that point, but obviously he bring, brings him a wealth of experience. Yeah. Um, like like we always say, America in the 70s, fucking full of serial killers. So mm-hmm. he'd have all that under his belt and he's bringing all that experience to South Africa to assist. They need it though, they don't are, they? They're fucking swamps. Yeah. Can you imagine working in that police department every day? More and more dead women are just t- turning up. Yeah, it's... It's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. And just on that note... Um, some of the documentaries that we watched, they were interviewing some of the women at the time. Did you see, like, the young women yes. have been interviewed in the cities? And, and they're terrified. They're all scared to death. Mm-hmm. They're all absolutely terrified mm-hmm. because they they know that there's some, they're being hunted, they're mm-hmm. being stalked. They're not, they know they're not safe because this man still hasn't been caught. Oh, and the police no. haven't got a fucking clue where to even start looking for him. They've got no description. I mean, he doesn't leave any survivors. He leaves no clues because he, he his weapons are the lady's own clothing, their lady's own uh, handbags. It's not like he takes his own knife or gun or anything mm. at all. The murder weapons are their own items. They've got nothing, Lauren, and everyone's fucking shitting themselves. Yeah. To the point, like you say, even the president, Nelson Mandela, I'm mm-hmm. sure he's got a shitload of work on his plate, but he comes and visits that crime scene, the 10 ladies that bodies were found and yeah. makes an appeal. Um, yeah, I mean, shit's properly hitting the fan in South Africa in September 95. Um, so, he, um, this man, like, like the profiler said, he's getting more and more cocky to the point he does this, right? He actually enjoys phoning up some of the families, some of the victims' families and teasing them. Awesome. So he managed to find out the phone number of the grand, like the nan- grandma of one of his victims and said, you are now walking over the grave of Monica. Like, what the hell was that? Nasty. What a prick. Nasty, nasty. He's just, he's just evil, isn't he? He's like a proper sadist. Yes, that's the word that's that springs word. to mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, during this point as well, where the, the heat is really on, the shit's hitting the fan, he tips off the police anonymously and says, I know who the ABC killer is. It's says it's his fucking brother-in-law so he throws his brother-in-law under the bus his brother-in-law gets nicked and gets questioned and grilled about this and obviously it's not him so Mm -hmm. they let him go he goes home his brother-in-law and then there's moses getting all the details out of his brother-in-law as to how far the police are getting along with the investigation yeah (gasps) i know that is a bit clever well they said he's bright yeah he's very bright yeah i mean that um, is a bit clever yeah it's fucking risky because that is proper like bringing bringing um, attention to his family. Wow. But yeah, so he did that as well. <laughs> Mental, isn't it? Plus, it's, it's again, it's like a bit of a game with him. It's showing how, con- how manipulative he is, mm. he is, how much he can control the situation. It's a massive distraction. I think it's, I mean, yeah, I've, I've never heard of that before in any of the cases we've covered no. that someone's actually gone and done that. This is the first, as far as I can remember. Wow. Um, yeah, so like we were saying as well, all the women, they're scared, they're terrified. Yeah. They're not trusting anymore. So he needs to come up with a new way to get women to trust him. So this is what he does. He comes up with a bogus charity, which is called Youth Against Human Abuse. And he starts advertising for female staff. And, of course, it looks to all intents and purposes like this lovely charity that reunites... You know, like you said, his early days, he was mm-hmm. quite interested in reconnecting families that have become um, drifted apart and yeah. lost touch. So that's what he said. It's charity. Yeah, you know, I'm one of the good guys, Lauren. I'm one of the good guys. I just need a need a few ladies to help me with oh. the admin. So yeah, obviously, he meets so many women this way and he fucking kills them all. It's it's atrocious because they fucking trust him. And a lot of the ladies, their friends and their family, they're jealous because they're like, oh my God, she's going to get this amazing job and I'm still here scrubbing floors and she's going to be working in an office. They'll think these women are lucky to have met Moses. Um, Imagine thinking that. Until they never see them again and then they're suddenly like, oh, fuck, they've never come back. So, here we are. There's a lady called Trifina Mogotzi. Mm-hmm. She's a 26-year-old single mum. And um, she worked in... Because he did used to sort of like hang around the local orphanages and stuff, I suppose, maybe to make his cover story and mm-hmm. give it a bit more guts. Anyway, she worked in the laundrette of, of this children's home. And he um, got chatting to all the ladies that worked there and whatnot. And... Um, 
he he kind of took a shine to Trifina and sort of singled her out and so he recruited her to come and work at the charity and she was supporting her whole family not just her kids I think like her mum and all that as well she mm-hmm. was the only breadwinner so they relied heavily on her and um one day she said to her mate in the laundrette could you cover for me I'm just going to have a lunch date with Moses and um he, you know a further interview kind of thing so she left with him on the train and she was never seen again uh, when she didn't come back to work for her afternoon shift her friend just presumed like the interview had gone really well and she'd started work immediately but when she didn't go home her sister really freaked out and called like called in straight away as a missing persons um so the police obviously come, they check the house and they find, they want to see like where she gone for this job interview. Mm-hmm. That's the last place that she was going to. And they, there's um, an application form and an acceptance letter with Moses Titole written all over it. Ugh. So obviously he's in their database because he's done time for rape. So they show his mugshot to the ladies who work in the, in the laundrette. I suppose they show a handful of different people, don't they? And they pick up Moses so they know, finally, they know who he is. Um... This is um, this is still sort of like probably August time, I think. Um, anyway, sadly, um, Trifina, she and she turned out to be one of the ten ladies in that field. Oh, they did find her. her, but she was one of the ten in the field. Um, yeah. So September the seventh, he did the same exactly the same thing again. A lady called Amelia Rapodile. She went for a job application, and again she went missing. They tracked down that she'd gone to meet a man called Moses. Um, now, like I say, many of these women, they were unidentified and it becomes very difficult for the police to establish a timeline of when they were killed, when mm-hmm. they were missing, when their bodies were found. Um, but he's identified his kills are becoming more frequent and the pain inflicted is increasing. And the balls on this dude, Kaz, now, mm. I think he's so fucking cocksure. Yeah. That's why he's using his name now. Well, you can see he did have lots of aliases as well. So, yeah. but sometimes, yeah, sometimes he just used his real name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like what's his face said, Resla, hundred percent on the money. On the second of October '95, he phoned up a reporter who worked on the Johannesburg Star mm. called Tamzine Devia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she was only, she was only in her twenties at the time, but she seems quite astute. Um, he started talking to her and he told her, I'm the man that everyone is looking for. He identified himself as Joseph and he, over the next few days he phoned her three times. She described him as being quite charming, which I found a bit strange thing to say because the, he was telling her how he'd killed these women. I mean, how can you say that in a charming way? Yeah. I fuck knows, but that's what she said. You, like, you watch the interview of her and she's just like, yeah, I felt quite sorry for him because he seemed really lost. But then I remember that he's also a monster. Yeah. I'm not paraphrasing. That's what she says. Oh, I thought you was paraphrasing. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what she actually says on the interview. Yeah. She's she's on the record saying that on the um, documentary. What? Yeah, mental. I don't know. What? I know. <laughs> she's, yeah. It's really weird. Like, for him, for him to convince everybody that he is actually the killer, he mm. has to go into minute detail of what he's done to these women, and yet she's still pretty sorry for him. He must have been fucking charming. So, um, yes, so he said that he was killing women out of revenge for the injustice he had suffered for being wrongly convicted of rape. She at first thought it might be a hoax, but as he gave more detail, she started to transcribe it. Um, He said that some of the women would fight and some of them would just give up. So, you know, sometimes you hear about instances where women have just been really compliant and mm-hmm. just chilled and not fought and they've survived but then you get other women who've like fought and screamed and they've survived but then in other instances they've fought and screamed but they've been killed because mm. they haven't been compliant you just don't know which way it seems like with him it fucking don't matter it turns out the only thing that mattered with him was if you looked a little bit like Doris so he only picked black ladies who looked like Doris wow that's why he killed them it weren't because they were compliant or complicit or meek and mild or aggressive they just looked a bit like Doris the woman who he said wrongly accused him of rape and he was just on a fucking mad one I mean I don't know why he didn't go after Doris all the while I'm reading this and researching I'm thinking why didn't he just go after Doris yeah if he's so cross with her and blames her why is he killing people that are not Doris because he don't want to get caught because he's got caught with her before yeah but he could have 
I'm sure he could have done it, but mm. perhaps, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. But yeah, God knows. So um, she gives the cops, the police, she gives the police the transcripts and he told her the location of a body to prove that he was the killer, like a body that hadn't been found. And he also said that she was there under a piece of metal and he'd gone back and that she'd already basically become a skeleton. So he's gone back to his crime scene and checked she's still there and then phoned the reporter and said, there's still a lady there, go and find her. So he also told her where another body was and this lady, she was left half hanging in a tree. So she must have been another one of the ones that probably strangled herself on the tree. Um, the police find her and it turns out it was a woman who'd vanished just the day before. Fucking hell. So all the while he's phoning up the thing, the police and, no, sorry, phoning up the um, Daily Coxie Star. Reporter. He's still fucking raping and murdering women. It's like he's on a rampage. He's nothing stopping nah. him. He's like every day he has to go yeah. and do another one. Blood blast. On his third call, he's on the phone to her and his money runs out. So he just gives Tamsin the phone number of the payphone that he's on. So she um she keeps him on the line while the police tra- trace the call and the police go to the payphone, but he runs away, he gets away. And the 13th of October, his photo is circulated all over the media in Johannesburg and Pretoria. So he's on the run, everyone's fucking looking for him. Um, on the 18th, so five days later, he's still on the run, so oh. he's doing really well, but he contacts his brother-in-law, Maxwell... I don't know if it's the same brother-in-law that he tried to... Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? So he contacted Maxwell to try and get a gun. Mm. Uh, So Maxwell eventually agrees. He said, all right, then I'll come and meet you. I don't like what you've done or anything, but I'll come and meet you and I'll bring you a gun. Uh, Maxwell, actually, he calls the cops and tells them about this rendezvous. And um, so the police are there. They're waiting for him when he goes to meet with Maxwell. He tries to run away, <laughs> just as the police are ready to pounce on him. He runs away. Uh, Moses, this is. He runs into an alleyway and he tries to fight off the police with an axe. Stop. So the police shoot him, like two warning shots, one in the belly and one in the leg. And he goes to hospital where he recovers. But he, would not re- he wouldn't cooperate with the police. Um, and he wouldn't say if they'd found all the victims. He did say one thing, which I thought was quite a good point. He said he wasn't with them when they found them. So I suppose in a way he's killed so many women, he doesn't know whether they've found them all because he wasn't there. So right. maybe there was 11 in the field and they didn't find one or... But I just thought, you know, when you've got a body count that high... Yeah, you're not going to remember them you're all. You're not going to remember them all, no. And plus you're going to be like, oh, what about the one in the canal? Oh, yeah, we've got her. Okay, what about the one here? Oh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be yeah. difficult. And he's not admitting it, right? Well, no, he's not admitting it yet. This is quite funny. So when he's being interrogated by the police, like I say, isn't they're not getting a lot out of him. So they think, right, this is a man who's a rapist. Let's bring in a female police officer. So they bring in a WPC and he starts talking about his rapes and his kills and he starts wanking while he's talking oh, about it. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> loser oh no so yeah he's he's talking about all his crimes and um yeah getting his jollies off at the same time yeah so what and the police are letting him do it i don't know how long they let him continue to wank i, I was gonna say no. did he complete <laughs> i don't know oh luckily that bit of footage is not on the documentary <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um always with juice in it always bad, it? fuck me so he, he goes to prison on remand. It is called remand, isn't it, while you won't yeah, for trial? Yeah. yeah. And um, he will tell anyone who listen how much he fucking hates black women. He He's so mad with black women just because of Doris. But maybe it goes back further. Perhaps he was mad of his mum and yeah. maybe there was other women who let him down in his life. Who knows? Why is it always a woman's fault when a man does fucking yeah. horrible shit? I don't know. Maybe he went for Doris because Doris looked like his mum. And it's a never-ending circle. <laughs> Yeah, but either way, it's definitely not their fault. Um, So what happens while he's in prison, someone talks to him about his crimes, Mm -hmm. but they secretly video him. He doesn't know he's being videoed. How the fuck did they get a video in there? I think the police let him get it in. Oh, so he's doing it for like a bit of... Okay. Yeah, they put in like... I think it is an actual genuine prisoner who's talking to him. But yeah, he's got a he's got a like the plea deal or something. Possibly, yeah. But he's got a secret camera mm-hmm. that, that um, Moses Sitone he does not like. know he's being filmed because the shit he comes out with is 
fucking unbelievable. Wow. I'll drop in a little um, clip mm-hmm. for our listeners because um, it's chilling to hear it, hear it out the horse's mouth. And me saying it, my accent is not going to do it justice. When... Satoli was heavily guarded by an elite police unit. Leon now remembers the tense situation. We uh, did not want anything to happen to Moses. We wanted to have a fair trial. While in prison, a fellow inmate, Derek Schoolman, gained Satole's confidence. He managed to smuggle recording equipment into the prison and taped their conversations. Strangle? Who beat him? No, I didn't beat anybody. Just strangle. Yeah. How long? How long does it take somebody to die for you to strangle them? Satoli described his intense anger toward women. I fully hate a black woman. A woman can hurt you more than a man, more than anybody in this world. So in, in October '96, the trial begins, and um, Moses. Sitole is charged with 40 rapes and 38 murders. Um, although they knew that there wasn't really, there was a bit insu- insufficient evidence to charge him, mm-hmm. more than 140 witnesses Jeez. testified against him. So that tells me that he's really unpopular. Everyone fucking hates him. I have that, motherfucker. They're all taking time out of their day to go and testify against him because he's a prick. So during the trial, he's continuing his prick behaviour, Lauren. Mm. Right, he's trying to intimidate witnesses by laughing at them while they're in the, you know, while they're giving evidence. He's shaking his head. You can just imagine him like tutting and mm. being like derogatory, and just I can fully, fully picture it in my head of what an asshole he was being, especially if it was a woman on the stand. Can you imagine? Because he fucking hates women. Um, there was obviously because there were rape. Mm-hmm. Um, there was rapes. There was DNA evidence linking him to um, some of the victims, yeah. and obviously there's Seaman. the young, yeah, the undercover video as well. Really cinched it because mm. he's just confessing to all this shit because he don't know he's been videoed. Um, he even said about one. Of, he he talked about one victim in particular who said that she knew karate, so she must have thought, "Oh, it's great! I can do self defense. I can protect myself." But it took hours for him to overcome her. So it's hours he's toying with her and thinking he's going to let her go, thinking she's got a chance. And he actually said to her, I will give you a chance to fight, but if you lose, you die. And obviously she did because none of him, he didn't have any survivors, did he? Um, Outside the court during this period, so while the trial's going on, there's crowds of women gathering, all like supporting each other, probably like maybe families of victims Mm. and pieces like that. But they're singing... And they're being serene and beautiful and peaceful and they're singing in their gorgeous way how, you know, how African women have like mm-hmm. this beautiful, harmonious way. Of, like even even if, um, like I've got a friend at work and she's from Nigeria and when she talks, it sounds like a poem. Yes, <laughs> I just, get yeah, She's yeah. talking about finance, the most dry <laughs> subject on earth, but it's beautiful when she mm. talks. Anyway, so they're in the street and they're all singing. They're singing, why are you killing us at all, eh? Why are you killing us at all, eh? But a zillion times better I'll than how them. I could ever sound, obviously. <laughs> um, but it was just a beautiful moment in a hideous period in history. It was yeah. a really beautiful moment. Um, so obviously the trial begins October 96. It must have been a, a fucking long trial because it, it's not until um, the 5th of December 97. Wow. That he, obviously he's convicted and he gets his sentence handed down to him which unfortunately I'd say the death penalty has been abolished by this point in time so he definitely would have got the death penalty um, but he said he received ready for this 2,410 years in prison with no chance of parole <laughs> shame yeah shame about that isn't it yeah well well yeah um, Sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be you, should I say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sucks. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, eh? Yeah, choke on it. Yeah, so there we have it. Yeah, so while in prison, Kaz, he gets diagnosed with HIV. Wow, wow. Well, lucky for him, he's in prison. Mm. So he gets medication. Might be a bit late. It might be <laughs> under the name of a different prisoner, but he gets it. Yeah. Unfortunately for his wife and daughter, they've also been diagnosed, but they can't afford medication and they pass away with AIDS because of that prick. So I I think that's another two under his belt 
Yeah, I agree. All three, including the poor little boy. So that's another mm. three he can fucking add on to that. Yeah, definitely. Nasty piece of work. Nasty. I think he's still alive. I don't want to know. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd live a lot better if not knowing that fact, I think. It just says born. It don't say when he died. So I think yeah, he's, he's still alive. Yeah, it's Max. He's still alive, breathing, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of that case. Mm-hmm. It was a massive case, wasn't it, Lauren? It was so, yeah, it's got me done, yeah. this one. It's got me beat. Yeah, he's a, he's a nasty old piece of work, yeah. that Moses Satole, and um, he went on a fucking rampage with those poor ladies. And, yeah, so we've come to the end of the episode. I'd just like to say personally, um, I hope you're enjoying this series so far. If you like it, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media. We want all of them. Um, Blue Mad Club. Yeah, I love talking to everyone. Yeah, if you want to chat to Lauren and or myself, then feel free to reach out. We're always happy to chat to fellow crime enthusiasts. Yeah, you'll have to tell us to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have Patreon. If you want, to, if I can take a minute just to tell you a little bit about our Patreon, um, you can join for as little as one pound a month, where you can support support your girls, support your podcast. And also, in return, we'll give you access, early access to our main episodes, ad-free. No shit in between the shit. We all hate a fucking advert, don't we? Oh, can't so, stand yeah. them. For only a pound a month, no adverts. Say hey. <laughs> um, if you want extra content, because we've got about 30 episodes up now, 29, 30 yeah. episodes. And there's some good fans over there. You've done really well the last couple oh, of ones. thank you. Yeah, we've got some decent stuff out over there, yeah. actually, haven't we? It's only £3 a month, so... Yeah, if you fancy popping along to Patreon, having a look. Yeah, um, it'd be lovely. We'd, we'd appreciate it. Um, so I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Have a good week. Yeah, take good care. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to get frightened walking through the shortcuts <laughs> in the fields. And don't trust anyone who offers you a job. Especially if they've got a newspaper under their arm. Oh. Cheerio. Bye.